Listener supported. WNYC Studios. My name is Henry Luther Threadgill. It's not an occupation. I play music. I create music. And I'm a facilitator in the creation of music. And I am the biggest gift giver of music. I really enjoy it. I give it to people for a reason. I just want to make a powerful, positive difference. Three months ago, the 1st Air Cavalry Division shipped out from Charleston. Oh, I was young. Young men trained in a new concept of war. I was, you know, 20, 22, 23 years old, something, I forgot. They were destined for the high country of central Vietnam. And I was with the 437th Army Band in Kansas at Fort Riley in 1966. If the American public had not known until then, they know now. The United States is indeed at war. And I was in the Army, but I was an arranger. So they asked me to do an arrangement. America, the beautiful, and all these kind of songs strung together. You know, I was still, you know, working on my ideas in orchestration, so I was experimenting a lot of stuff that I was listening to with Cecil Taylor. And Stravinsky. putting it all together a certain kind of way. And it was going to be played in Kansas City. It was some big political affair with all kinds of ramifications because the cardinal was there, the governor and the mayor and the representatives from the 5th Army and these generals and stuff are all on this platform. I knew nothing about this. They just asked me to do this medley. Well, I wrote this medley, but... The band director went away for something, so his aide rehearsed the piece as I finished it. We were on this platform out in the street, and the band director hadn't heard it, and he's going to conduct it on the fly. In other words, sight read it. And um, the band director comes up to conduct the piece. about eight bars and the cardinal jumps up and says who's responsible for this blasphemy who's responsible for this blasphemy everybody on that stage needed toilet paper they looked at the band leader the band leader was like I just knew his pants was damp so they said, pack up, we out. They didn't finish nothing. The next morning, we got back 
And these people had orders cut on me. Private Henry Ticket, blah, 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 blah. Is now geographically associated with the area under the command of General Pierce and play cool. I said, play cool. And they said, shut up, be quiet. And I said, where's that? And they said, hey, keep quiet, you know. I said, well, where the hell is play cool? And this guy goes through and say, attached to the 4th Infantry. I said, 4th Infantry Division? <laughs> this guy said, hey, man, be quiet, you know. Well, I'm hearing this stuff. You think I'm, gonna sit, I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to sit there? And I said, 4th Infantry Division? What, wait a minute. I'm, I'm a, you know, I play saxophone. Claire, what are you talking about? You know, and where's this play cool place? <laughs> Doesn't sound like anything in Oklahoma or certainly not near Paris. I never heard no play cool in Japan. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So the guy read the thing and then he said that I had uh, 30 days to get my life in order and report to Oakland, California, to the naval shipyard and wait on further orders to be shipped to Pleiku, South Vietnam. I said, Pleiku, South Vietnam. I said, what the F you is going on here? And from Pleiku, 25 miles away, a South Vietnamese relief column with the American advisors set out by road. And along that road, the Viet Cong were waiting. To have me sent and put my life in danger all the way to Washington, D.C. and beyond because of some notes that I wrote. Hey, everybody. Nadia Sirota here. And today on the show, we're talking about the composer Henry Threadgill. Henry is a Pulitzer Prize-winning musician whom the New York Times called perhaps the most important jazz composer of his generation. He's been doing his thing for over 40 years. And as it turns out... One of our producers here on Meet the Composer is in Henry's band. So we figured, who better to lead us through this world than him? This is Curtis McDonald. Hi. And Curtis, (laughs) take it away. Okay, so Henry's the kind of artist who you hang out with for a few minutes and he opens you up to a whole new way of thinking. And today, you're going to hear from a bunch of his musicians. Jason Moran. Henry Dreckhill is the best composer there is, period. Like, why not say that? David Villegas. This is our modern-day Thelonious Monk, our modern Duke Ellington. He's the guy. And Craig Weinrib. In order to understand Henry's music, you don't have to know anything about music, but you do have to be interested in circus, in theater, in mass transit stations, in the aerial view of New York, in complex human dynamics. And if you're the type of person who is curious and has open eyes and watches the world around you, then Henry's music is for you. His music reflects his personality. 
Everything is incredibly conversational. And it's echoed in the way he just walks through the world or lives in his neighborhood. Look at that. Look at that. I mean, we mustn't separate Henry as a personality from his music either, you know? Okay, so he's a mayor of his neighborhood, right, Lower East Side. You might see him in front of his building talking to everybody. You see the size of the front of that place? Massive, huge place. I've routinely seen a small white toddler being pushed in a stroller by a caretaker yell out across the street, Henry! Just for me? Yeah. So who is this guy who lives on the Lower East Side that talks to everybody on the street? <laughs> He's kind of the, uh, the godfather or the mayor. So he'll stop in his neighborhood. He'll, he'll, you'll be walking down the street going to a restaurant for lunch or on the way to, to or from a rehearsal or whatever and tap you on the arm and then he'll stop in the sidewalk and start telling some big story. So the largest Polish community outside of Warsaw is in Chicago. The largest Serbian communities in Chicago. Henry was born in Chicago in 1944. There's a certain kind of artist that comes from Chicago that understands what the variety of sound can be because of its relationship to the Great Migration. Gospel music is born in Chicago. The Delta Urban Blues is in Chicago. I'm going to show you how to play the blues. Now you just sit here and watch, man. Muddy Waters, Hollywood, all of them are playing down in the street in Chicago. You know, so all those sounds and this guy playing this guitar that's out of tune but knows how to make it sing in a way that <laughs> you wish was on Carnegie Hall but never would get to Carnegie Hall stage. So where do you go? You go down to, uh, what's that street? There was a street in Chicago where, like, Howlin' Wolf and all of them would play on the street, uh, Maxwell Street. Nat King Cole, Dinah Washington, Charlie Parker, Leslie, you know, everybody's playing in Chicago. Duke Ellington in the jazz world. Florence Price is there, the classical composer. So the radio, just take one station. It says 8 o'clock, and you start off with hillbilly music. Hillbilly fever's going round. Good old mountain music's got us down. You could go from that, listen to straight Russian composers. And then you go into a whole gospel. And I would run to the piano when Boogie Woogie came on. Every day I would be waiting for that to come on. Because I had to learn how to play Boogie Woogie or die. <laughs> it was learn how to play Boogie Woogie or die. Run down. So I'd be there at 1.30, waiting. Once they start, I'm just scrambling at the piano, you know, trying to hear what they're doing, memorize it, and get my hands on it. And I'm very upset, you know. My hands are so small, and if they play something I haven't heard before, I'm really P.I.S.ed off. Always, when they do that, I say, oh, man, you got me out here like this. <laughs> I learned that on my own. I taught myself how to play the piano on my own until I got attracted to the saxophone. That became everything. 
And at the same time, the other thing is in the back of my mind. I wanted to know how. How did someone come up with something like this? At the earliest stages of when I started taking any lessons or anything, and that always stayed with me. How did they do it? How do you write a Moby Dick? How do you write a Lush Life? I used to visit all the very gay places, those come what may places, where one relaxes on the axis of the wheel of life. By the time I graduated from high school, I read my first piece. It was a piece called Ornette. And by the time I get to junior college, I start to write a lot more music, and I've written out for orchestra. After junior college, Henry started playing in a gospel band. Yeah, with Horace Shepard. Horace Shepard out of Philadelphia, the great Horace Shepard. He had a big troupe, like Billy Graham is a black troupe. The choirs, the singers, it was a whole entourage, and our job was to prepare the people for Horace Shepard. This was some extremely highly charged stuff that was absolutely unbelievable. I never stopped practicing what I learned from that. So it's 1966, the Vietnam War is on, and Henry gets drafted. But luckily, he's a talented guy, and he began working for the Army as an arranger and a composer. He was stationed in Fort Riley, Kansas. I got picked for that. I didn't even know you could get a job like that, you know. They knew that I was writing music and stuff, and they offered me the job of arranging composer. So he arranges this medley. It's performed, halted. Who's responsible for this blasphemy? And the next morning, the very next morning, his papers have been cut. He's being reassigned to the 4th Infantry Division, reporting to the central highlands of Vietnam. So now I got to put on these green clothes, boots, and other stuff. I used to play in Vietnam with just me and a little Italian cat named Napoli from New York. That was my man, Naps. We both liked a lot of the same people in music, you know. He was into Ornette and Cecil. He and I could just go in and play by ourselves, structured and unstructured, at night. The piano was so badly out of tune, too. You can imagine. Every octave was in, was in a different key. <laughs> you talking about quarter tone music. That's nothing. <laughs> you take the mouthpiece and put it on the end, push it in, <laughs> you still couldn't find it. <laughs> he's laughing while telling these stories, but you have to remember, he's playing music with other people in the middle of a war zone. The middle of a war zone. It doesn't even matter what the music is. To think that you're going to be concentrating on this harmonica or this thumb piano and looking left and right in the sky to see what's going to happen around you, that's a whole different experience with music. 
After serving not one but two campaigns in the 4th Infantry, Henry was sent back to the States. Yeah, I remember. Came back from Vietnam at the end of September. I went back to Chicago in 69 and joined the AACM then. This is significant. The AACM. That's short for the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians, and Henry was one of the earliest members. ACM is basically uh, uh, people joined together in a nonprofit corporation with a group of uh, philosophical principles that has to do with musical democracy. Each person is required to support the other person's endeavors inside that organization when they're working on music. Richard Moore Abrams was at the center of it. He basically took under his wing a lot of different young musicians and gave them a platform in which they could play their original music. Because Muha was always investigating. <laughs> the investigation was always on. The game was afoot. So I learned from the fact that there was a person that was constantly in discovery. He's talking about Muhal Richard Abrams, the founder of the AACM. It fed into my world in that sense, you know. So, you know, it's not just Henry by himself, you know, it's Henry and Muhal, but their relationship to music in Chicago is where those ideas are also safe, it seems to me. And if you look at anyone coming out of the ACM, they're like extremely unique. Anyone that you look at from that group is, is very unique. Muha. George Lewis. Amina Claudine Myers. Roscoe Mitchell. Wadah Lewis Smith. Each member is insanely different from the other. <laughs> and that is a major part of what I think draws us to the AACM, and especially to a composer like Henry Threadgill, who I always think he's like this early music composer who grew up in Chicago. <laughs> on the south side. Like his ideas about funerary music, you know, or marching bands, and then his ideas of improvisation and, and the ways that an ensemble can work together. They seem so ancient that they're new. Like, I don't know anybody else remotely close to that. It's hard to underestimate how rare and significant this is. The AACM is a diverse group of incredibly different personalities, all taking a turn to support their fellow artists in pursuit of serious original music in whatever form that it may take. I mean, contrast this with any other musical association. Lacis, the Second Viennese School, Def Jam. They're all drawn to each other because they're similar. But these artists, the thing that they have in common is their thirst for individual experimentation and expression. If you go into the time-wasting dreaming world with me, 
if we get the right kind of dynamics to deal with, there's another place to go. You know, there's like, there's no grant system that's, that's kind of handing them $75,000 every time they write a proposal for an idea. That's not happening for decades and decades, you know? There's some other system that they rely on. It was like group self-discovery. They could experiment, try new ideas as fast as their imagination. And they had the freedom to fail. It was a creative incubator removed from those who were judging them. And because of that, they got stronger. It doesn't matter what I think, I'm supposed to be there to serve you. That was the whole thing. For me to develop what I'm doing, I need you there as a tactician. And for me, that has been what I thought has made music move forward, is where these organizations of people who band together around an idea and that they stay together through the storms. If I'm wrong, let me be wrong. That was the whole principle. Failure is everything. It's everything in every world, too. Nothing happens without failure. Failure is it. You know, think about it. Here you are crawling. You get up. If you don't get up and fall down, if they keep stopping you, you'll never walk. You got to fail at walking to walk. When we come back, Henry starts to run. Stick around. We believe that to discover a new artist, to hear a new piece of music can be a transformative experience. We strive to create these experiences by sharing the music of those who make sense of our world differently, through sound. With our 24-7 music stream, connect to an international audience united by a passion for discovery. Find us online at q2music.org. Splitting Atoms, the new podcast album from Meet the Composer and Alarm Will Sound, is now available. The album features podcast commentary from Nadia Sirota and the sound design you've come to recognize from MTC, alongside complete performances of John Adams' Chamber Symphony and Son of Chamber Symphony. Splitting Atoms is available on iTunes, Bandcamp, or wherever you get your music. What, um... What's it like rehearsing with Henry Threadgill? Like, how does he go about his rehearsals? <laughs> well, he goes about rehearsals in a way that tells you that whatever you rehearsed might or might not happen. He's, he's basically trying to get the musicians conditioned in a certain way so that they're able to have different ways in which they can navigate the music at any point. So he's trying to train us in rehearsal to do that. 
it always is a discrepancy between writing and reality. <laughs> yeah. then, you know, get the music up off the page. This might come out any kind of way. I'm not going to say it. All right. I keep trying to review ways to rehearse. That's the biggest thing now. How to instill the information from different ways, rather from left to right. All kind of different ways to instill the information so that it gives me room to drop out stuff, to try stuff, you know, and know that this stuff is deeply embedded into the minds of the artists. That's the whole point. That I get the material deeply embedded in all of the material, not a little bit of the information. So the more I get embedded in their mind, the more room you have to move. Okay, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going the next time. Time to keep going. He's not looking for the finish line. Like, okay, you played it perfect? Okay, great. No. <laughs> it's, it's more like, okay, have we all heard parts of what we need to figure out? Okay, let's move to section J, right? And then if we're not getting like a certain phrase, let's play that phrase. And then we'll play this one measure for about seven, eight minutes, right? One measure of music, you know, that lasts about three seconds. We'll play it for like seven, eight minutes. And then you be like, hmm, make that a new section. <laughs> so all of a sudden you're watching this compositional process kind of shift too. If I see the new vision, I'm going with the new vision. All I did anyway was open up a path to something, you know. See, what you write down is never the end game. I think we as composers, people, all their lives, they spent trying to get the whole picture on paper. You can't do it. We develop a, a very sophisticated notation system over centuries now, and still, I don't think that any composer would ever say that our notation system has allowed us to really grasp 100% of what is in our mind. I don't believe it. Jose Davila, tubist and trombonist in Henrietta Girls Zuid. You know how people have that ability to read other people? He has that ability, that affinity to read into a person's musical ability and see also other possibilities that aren't being done at that moment. And so it starts to form, I think, like kind of like this. Who's the artist that used Surat, you know, who uses dots, you know, to kind of like, then you step back from it. Or like Chuck Close, you know, you step back from a Chuck Close and then you see this portrait of a person's face. 
But when you're up close on it, right, like you started to hear what the red is. And then he's like, that red is still missing the blue that I didn't even write in, you know. Or maybe, no, actually, you know, Curtis, take a solo there. Let me hear that. And then he keeps working it. The weaving process is a delicate one. There's no set way you can do it. Each composition will determine how it must be achieved. Or like some designer, you know, some fashion designer who goes to gather all of their textiles. And then when they put them on the model, then they say, rip the sleeve off. I try to constantly keep myself in a position of listener and forget all of my knowledge. You know, which is a very difficult thing to do, but I constantly go through this process of being on this side of the music and on the opposite side of the music to experience it as the listener. For music, since it's in real time, we rarely can see where those edits take place. Or in the finish of a runway show, we don't see, like, the process, right? And so you also wonder, you know, as he lets things be really kind of free in certain spaces, and I say free meaning people can move in a variety of different ways, depending on who they are. But then there are places where he really smoothed it out so that an audience and him, as the composer, hears like this thing coming together really quickly. My rehearsals are very important for me because like the music, especially if it has improvisation built into it, then the music is really not finished for me until I rehearsed it because then it's subject to change. It's subject to change because what I hear and what can happen in the rehearsal will call for alterations. He always talks about the rehearsal as an exploration, not in the way that, you know, you read something from left to right and you leave it at that, but he's looking to expand on the music. The end is what? It's to make a musical creative statement. That takes precedence over any little thing that I've done. I'm not finna like, I'm not finna sink and die over something I wrote. Forget it. Abandon ship. Kill it. Kill the baby. <laughs> There'll be another baby. <laughs> Kill the baby is what I say. If necessary, move on, you know. When he walks down the street, you ever notice that? He's like, he's always singing some march. He's a fond lover of rhythm. You know, if you grew up in a marching band, you understand. You know, music is supposed to make you move. And, like, then you go hear the music. He's like, come inside. And he's, like, walking into his apartment. Da, 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 da. And then he sits at the piano. He plays, like, boom, 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 boom. And you're like, that? so this is what you're singing all day. And then that's what you're hearing on the piano? Look, Curtis. Mm-hmm. Two, two minus three, four, five, six. No seven. Voices are only moving in that. Whole step. Right 
If you examine a piece of Henry's music, you can see this fascinating logic behind it. You know how those things, you know how they work, you know how yeah. they, So this was like, this was like two, I wrote this whole set, it was like a two minor three. He spent a considerable amount of time experimenting and developing his approach from the very smallest atomic structures on up. This kind of a type of blues thing. And he finds a way that with every iteration of performance, it evolves. It's brilliant, it's unique, and it's incredibly well thought out. All right, so <laughs> I have a funny story to tell. One time Henry was calling me incessantly from some unknown phone number until I picked up. And so I finally picked up. He's like, Curtis, Curtis, quick, you got a pen? You got a pen? Write this down. And I'm like, oh, maestro, maestro, okay, okay, uh, I'm ready. So, you ready? It's called Learning to Compose. <laughs> it was a textbook published in 89 by Larry Austin, and it was this undergraduate text that was meant to be like an introduction to all sorts of composition practices and composers for students, you know, young students. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing is, just 10 days after he tells me to buy a book called Learning to Compose, for him, he wins the Pulitzer Prize. He wins the Pulitzer Prize for music composition. To be recognized at what you're doing on any level is always a wonderful thing because the practitioner of art, it is not always rewarding. You know, you just have to stay regardless. And anytime there's confirmation and approval of what you're doing, it always is a welcome. I'm telling you, you spend a lot of days out in the cold. <laughs> there's room at the end. Thank you. <laughs> I can come in and have a cup of tea, believe me. Music. For a distinguished musical composition by an American that has had its first performance or recording in the United States during that year, In for a Penny, In for a Pound by Henry Threadgill, a highly original work in which notated music and improvisation mesh in a sonic tapestry that seems the very expression of modern American life. Congratulations, Henry Frederick. Thank you very much. I found out only after I got this Pulitzer Award, after looking into the history of the Pulitzer and looking and see what did I have in common with Elliot Carter, people like Virgil Thompson? What did I have in common with these people? What we saw was uh, who was in the military and who wasn't. There was no other Vietnam veteran that has won a Pulitzer in any category. Any category, period. When they gonna get to the dirt? Maestro, what is your advice to young artists who are coming up in the world today? Coming up today, 
a very, very open mind and a very, very broad appetite and menu for materials, you know. Nassau, with the, what are the investigations going on with the fruit fly? Why have they sent so many fruit flies in outer space? And what is the research that they're letting us know that they're doing? What about the research that they're not letting us do? So can you come up in your own thinking and start finding out, well, you know, given what they told me, ABC, there seems to be some other ideas like F and G in my own thinking that I better look into, which could inform you artistically. It's the whole thing. You know, my whole big thing now is, you know, is dirt. Dirt is earth. And everything is earth. Because it's only two things. It's either dirt or life that is not dirt. Everything in this room basically is a result of earth. You know, all of the beautiful flowers, the walls, you know, the food we eat, you know, all of the bees and hummingbirds that comes around the flowers, everything, that's earth, which is dirt. And we, the human species, which is not dirt, but will become dirt. (laughs) That is the second part, which is a part of the equation, the great body of the riddle. We have the dirt world with trees where you go and look at a redwood tree and a hundred people can stand inside of it. If you are not mystified out of your wits, you really need to see somebody. You can go to all the performances of the New York City Ballet or the Head of Symphony or hear me or anybody else. You get a little bit of information every now and then, but at a certain point, I think, they, they stop informing you on a certain level. I think there's some bigger things. And the bigger thing is dirt. for one, and then that which is not dirt, which is really a complex world. But what there is to learn from dirt is monumental, absolutely monumental. This building is dirt. Look at it. Look at what all is in here as a result of dirt. This is Porter Anderson with Take Two. Meet the composer's season credits. You ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. Hi, this is Porter Anderson from Tampa. Links to all the music featured on today's show are available at q2music.org slash meetthecomposer. This episode of Meet the Composer was produced by Curtis McDonald, Mead Bernard, Alex Overington, and Nadia Sirota with help from Hannes Brown and John Hammerhan. Our executive producer is Alex Ambrose. Thanks to our special guests, Jose Davila, Jason Moran, Craig Weinrib, and David Villas. David also performed the music you're hearing right now. It's a variation of Henry's Old Locks and Irregular Verbs, recorded live at Q2 Music Studios. And a huge thanks to our guest of honor, maestro Henry Threadgill. Thank you to Seth Rosner and Yulong Wang at Pi Recordings, and to New Music USA for their flexibility with the use of the Meet the Composer name, which became famous through their legacy organization founded by composer John Duffy. 
many thanks to our Season 3 Kickstarter donors, including Nico Mooley, John Russo, Elena Park, Benjamin Mosquito, Gidi Razaz. I'm Porter Anderson for Q2 Music and Meet the Composer.